Um, I'm trying to get this microphone thing to work. Steve, where'd you go? <laughs> okay, I think it's okay now. All right, if you have your Bibles, and I sure hope you do, turn with me to 1 John. The Gospel of 1, or the letter of 1 John, the epistle of 1 John. And I want to know, how many of you really do want to get into the meat of the Word? There's lots of good milk out there, but how about some meat of the Word? Really get into the... First John, you know, John kind of, he kind of, he'll deal you a knockout punch with velvet gloves. I mean, he's just, a, my little children, I love you, this and that and the other, and then he'll drop a truth on you, but if you're not loving one another, you're in darkness. Little things like that. But we're going to look at that tonight. Let's uh, stand together to read just four verses. First John, and I'm going to take tonight to give you an introduction to this letter and we're going to get into actually verse 1, which is so full of good stuff, it's amazing. And uh, then we'll be able to go at a quicker pace next time. But let's read 1 John, first verse. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have personally handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen, and we bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, that is what we're declaring to you. That you also may have fellowship with us. So they're saying, just like somebody who sees an accident, as an eyewitness, they're saying, this is not hearsay, we are eyewitnesses. We are eyewitnesses to the reality of Jesus. And he says in verse 3, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with them. Now verse 4 is the reason he writes, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Now, folks, I would circle that, highlight it, because that tells me that if we get this book and live this book, this one letter, five chapters, we're going to have fullness of joy. We will experience fullness of joy. So there's a promise right at the beginning. Father, we just thank you tonight for this wonderful, wonderful word. Inspired by God, we know we've got mail straight from God today. Now, Lord, help us to discern what you said to us. Help us to understand it. And help us to come to the place where we walk in fullness of joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. And you can be seated. And I want to encourage you, uh, if you've got a Bible that you don't feel you can write in, throw it away and get one you can write in. And get pens and markers and everything else in the world and write all over this thing because when something jumps out at you and speaks to you, you ought to underline it, circle it, highlight it, something, date it, say that's, that's when it spoke to me, uh, make a little note of what it said to you because I'm going to be saying a lot of things, uh, you're going to be listening and, and something's going to go off in you and you're going to go, wow, I never thought of that or I never knew that or I never saw that, that's what you need to write down, you need to mark it. So let me just give you a little intro into this book. I already had what we just read up here. 
And so let me just go past that and go on down. John. John. He's the apostle that it says in the Bible Jesus loved. It was John who at the first communion, it was John who leaned his head on Jesus' chest and said, who, who is going to do this to you? John. It's John who was mending the nets when Jesus called him. Peter was casting the nets, but John was mending the nets. Interestingly, Peter ended up being an evangelist, raking in large numbers of souls every time he preached. But here's John. He's the mender of the church. And so whatever he had in the natural is now being carried over into his spiritual gifting. And you'll find that's the way it is often. Whatever you natural knack you have, natural gifting you have, when God's Spirit touches it, he begins to use it for his glory. So here's John. He's basically, what he's doing with this letter, he's net-mending. He's net-mending. All right, John's earliest writing, the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel according to John, was penned sometime before 66 A.D. He probably wrote it somewhere between 60 and 65 years after Jesus had been crucified. He wrote his first epistle around 90 A.D., while 2 and 3 John were likely written not long afterward. His famous book of Revelation was written last around 95 A.D., about 62 to 3 years after Jesus had been crucified. John lived a few more years and died at around 100 years old. He is the only one of the 12 that was not martyred. We know he was not martyred. He died of old age. The rest of them um, were martyred. The letter of 1 John has been described as a diamond in which not one facet could be changed. It is an exquisite, beautiful letter. It's a little individual poem all by itself. Each thought presented is like a gem, perfect in itself. Yet each thought fits into a larger pattern, complementing a grander design. The foundation is found in the first four verses that we just read. That's the the foundation of the whole letter. So if you want to know what it's about, you read those first four verses. The, The seed for the whole letter is in those first four verses. John wrote his first letter. This is very important. If you're going to understand this letter, you've got to understand what we're about to read. John wrote his first letter as a response to a diabolical false teaching being spread through the churches by those who were called docetic Gnostics. Now, don't let that throw you. Say with me, docetic Gnostics. Now, immediately you find, don't look at that for a minute, look at me. Immediately you're going to find uh, that Paul, John, Peter, they were, they were immediately, not, not many, just a couple of decades after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, they were immediately confronted with false teaching. Most of the epistles, many of them anyway, were written to counter false teaching. Galatians, Colossians, First John, I mean, you can, you can find over and over again the apostles upset in a good way, righteously indignant that the purity and the simplicity of the gospel that is in Jesus Christ was being undermined by diabolical false teachers. Now, these docetic Gnostics, docetic comes from a Greek word that means to seem or to appear. In other words, it seems like It seems like 
It's not really real, but it seems like. That's the kind of to seem. Dokeo, to seem. Now, Gnostics comes from the Greek word gnosis. Gnosis, which means knowledge or to know. So, Docetic Gnostics. Gnostics believed that all matter was evil. They believed all matter was evil, but that spirit was good. Therefore, God could not have created the material world. They, they, anything material, they said it's evil. Now, now, they didn't have telephones back then. They didn't have email. They didn't have computers. It was word of mouth and, and, they would, and letters. And that's how truth or rumors or, or whatever was spread throughout a place. Now, these, these Gnostics were traveling from church to church, from house group to house group, and they were teaching the committed Christians that all material things were evil, that nothing material was good. And so therefore, God could not have created material things. They were going around teaching this. So Docetic Gnostics taught that since all matter was evil, and here was the hook, Jesus could not have come in human form. Jesus could not have come in human form. I don't know if you've noticed, but in our culture right now, in the West, in America, you can watch TV for a day and you will hear attacks made on who Jesus really was. There is an attempt to undermine his deity, his divinity, uh, his sonship, the virgin birth, all the things that we hold sacred and dear and true are being attacked in our day. And it's usually coming from secularists who just hate Christ. They hate the gospel. They hate the word of God. And so they, they, they seek to undermine. I think the whole Christmas thing was an attempt to, just another attempt to undermine the reality of Jesus Christ in our culture. Now, I want you to know there's nothing new under the sun. Because if you go back 20 centuries... The same thing was happening with these folks, docetic Gnostics. They were coming into the church and they'd say, they'd, say, they'd take somebody aside and they'd say something like, uh, so you think Jesus was, was born of a virgin and actually became one of us, do you? Oh yeah, that's absolutely, that's the gospel. Well, that's not really what happened because don't you understand, don't you know that all material things are evil? Therefore, God did not create material things. Therefore, there is no way that he caused his only son to become human flesh. And the churches began to be troubled. John, living in Ephesus at this time, hears about this and he gets mad and he writes this letter initially to counteract that teaching look what they said he only appeared they would say or seemed to be in human form and he only appeared or seemed to suffer but it didn't really happen in other words Jesus never came in the flesh and folks, you've got to understand why this was so powerful. Because they didn't have film of him being crucified. In our day, we say, oh, I know what happened. It's on 300 different reels of film. We can, we can call up a video or access it on the Internet. Somebody filmed it. Some network filmed it. So we could find 
after the fact proof that he had suffered. But in those days, there was no film. There was nothing like that. There was no video. So it was all word of mouth. So if they started being told, hey, he didn't really suffer. He didn't really come in human form. And you get some charismatic, persuasive people teaching this, and it starts troubling and rocking the church. Oh, he just seemed to suffer. It was an illusion. There's no way he took on human flesh because all material things are evil. In other words, Jesus never came in the flesh. The entire message of a virgin conceiving, God becoming one of us, was taught against by the Gnostics. So in answer to this, we're going to see John stressing over and over in this letter things like, we saw him. We heard him. We touched him. Don't tell me he was an illusion. And every spirit, here's another verse, you recognize this one. Why did John write this? Now you know, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. The truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is the golden thread of 1 John. Connected with him is his blood, the propitiation for our sins and for the world's sins. We will find repeated phrases like light and darkness. Truth is often compared to light. Forgiveness of sin is mentioned several times. Liar. John calls people liars outright three times. His commandments, Jesus' commandments, his commandments. That phrase is found several times. You know, folks, John wasn't trying to win friends and influence people. He, if you lied, he'd call you a liar. In our day, we would need to go to sensitivity training for that. <laughs> Love is pivotal in 1 John. The phrases sons of God, children of God, and being born of God continue throughout the letter. Believing on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, is found four times. And it ends with an exhortation to stay away from idols. Now, John opens his letter with a statement about the beginning, very much like his gospel. Let's look at it again if you've got your Bibles. What does he say right there? He says, that which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. Now, you know what? He opens with that statement, and that's very much like his gospel. John 1 1. What does it say in John 1 1? In the beginning was the Word. So John opens up his gospel and he opens up this letter talking about the beginning. But there is a difference. In his gospel, in the gospel of John, he starts with the beginning of created things and he says, He was then. That is, when all creation came into existence, Christ already existed. Now I'm going to try, I'm not a good drawer, but I'm going to try to do something here real quick just to help you with this, this thought. Um, let's just pretend that right here, this is eternity. Okay? Let's pretend that right here is the creation. Here's the creation. That line. Going this way, we have eternity past okay i know my print is terrible that's why 
I should have been a doctor. <laughs> but just trust me, that says eternity past. Okay, so going this way, it's eternity past. From the creation forward, it's eternity future. Now, John, here's what he did. With his gospel, he starts, he says, In the beginning was the Word. Now, what he's doing with that, John is so big on, of course, the Holy Spirit through him, was so big on making sure we understood who Jesus really was. He was not just a normal man. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a charismatic leader. He was not just a VIP. He was not an inspirational personality. Folks, John wants us to understand God invaded earth via his son. God wrapped himself. God wrapped himself in flesh. The Gnostics were liars. In the beginning was the word. When he says that, when he uses, in the beginning was the word, he is start, the beginning is the creation of the world. There is no beginning until creation. Because there has to be something created to wear away, to be affected by time. There was no such thing as time until there were worlds and things created. Matter. So when he says in the beginning, he is starting us at the creation. He's saying at the beginning, backwards, was the Word. And the Word was with God. Capital W, the Logos, the Word. And the Word was God. What is he telling us? He's saying Jesus was at the beginning of creation. When creation happened, he already was. He had already been. You start with creation and you look back into eternity past. And as far back as you can go, trillions and trillions of years, Jesus was. That's why he said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I don't know about you, but I cannot wrap my mind around eternity. I can try, but eternity short circuits my brain. I can't think of eternity in heaven, and I can't think of eternity for sure in hell. But you know what? When you pick up that Bible, you come across the concept of eternity. That there is eternity that way and eternity that way. We are in a blink sandwiched between two eternities. So John in his gospel, he says, hey, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he was. And you go back from there, and he always had been. He was not created. Now, let me just put this back up here just for a second, and I'll put my incredible illustration back up in a moment. Now watch this. When all creation came into existence, Christ already existed. John is telling us in his gospel that since he was before all of creation, then he must be uncreated. Jesus was not created. 
Since he's uncreated, he has no beginning. And if he has no beginning, he is God. And John wants us to know that. So when we sit in here in church on Sunday or Wednesday night and we lift our hands and we worship Jesus, you're worshiping he who has always been and always will be. Before Abraham was, I am When God flung the stars into space, the sun was right there with him, pre-existent, already existing, having never been created. And see, our finite minds insist on a beginning. There had to be a beginning somewhere. Was it trillion years? A trillion times a trillion years ago? When did he begin? He never began. Because my mind insists on a beginning. I began, you began. Now, we began, but you know what? We will never end because we're created a spirit. Well, as long as I'm going to heaven, I can accept that by faith and and, and get pretty cranked about that. But if I think of hell, I can't comprehend that. But there is eternity, and every human being who has ever lived is eternal in their spirit. Their spirit will live on. It never dies. And that's not according to Jeff. That's according to Christ. John reaches back into eternity before the universe was brought into existence and informs us that in eternity past, Jesus was. And he was in fellowship with the Father. Mm. Now that's the Gospel of John. Now we come to 1 John. He goes back only to the time when the created universe came into existence and speaks of that which was true concerning Jesus since that time up to his incarnation as a human being. Here's what John does. Whoops. John, in 1 John, he doesn't take us this way. He takes us this way. And somewhere down here, The incarnation happened. Christmas, Jesus was born into the world. John starts us here in 1 John and he moves us forward. He's wanting us to understand this one was never created. He always was. And now he says that which was from the beginning, from the beginning which we heard and saw and touched. He's taken us up to the incarnation, to the life that Jesus lived on earth. So from the beginning of creation to the time that he lived on earth, that's where John and 1 John is taking us. So, he says, in the beginning puts us at the point of creation and then looking back into eternity at he who already existed, that's his gospel. But then now in 1 John, he's taking us forward to his incarnation. He's wanting us to know that Jesus Christ is God. From the beginning, takes us to the point of creation and moves us forward, showing Jesus' development in time up to his life on earth. Jesus is, always has been, and always will be. When you look backward, he's always been. When you look around you, he is. When you look forward, he's eternal. Now, 
this thing about eternity, just so that you would know it's really in the Bible, I'm going to show you something. The Bible has a lot to say about eternity. Listen to the number of times it uses eternal. Never ending this way, never ending this way. Eternal God, eternal excellency, eternal life. Uh-oh, look at four. What does it say? Colossians talks about his eternal power and Godhead. Peter talks about an eternal weight of glory. The Bible talks about things that are eternal. Spirit, the spirit world is eternal. Always been, always will be. An eternal house. I'm looking forward to that one. No mortgage payment, no taxes. Look at this, eternal purpose. Eternal purpose. Isn't that a mind blower? God had an eternal purpose for you from way back backward and way forward forward. His purpose for you is eternal. How about this? Eternal king. Thank God for number 10 or number 11. Can we say it together? Eternal salvation. Look at this. Number 12. Let's say it together. Eternal judgment. These are eternals out of the Bible. Number 13, eternal redemption. What is the Holy Ghost? He is an eternal spirit. How about number 15, an eternal inheritance? Uh-oh, 16 shouldn't be there. We need sensitivity training. What does it say? That's what John wrote in the book of Revelation, eternal fire. How long is eternity? Imagine a huge planet made of steel floating in space. Every one trillion years, a mosquito would slowly come fluttering by and barely flick the planet of steel with its wing and fly away. When a trillion more years go by, the mosquito comes again and flicks the steel. Until after trillions upon trillions and trillions more of years, eventually the mosquito has rubbed the planet away. Even then, eternity has only just begun. <sighs> when you think of eternity, even that would just be a moment in eternity. Because it never ends. You know, folks, the Bible will blow your mind. The Bible will put in you the fear of the Lord. The first proof that John offers that Jesus actually became a human being is that he and the other disciples personally heard him speak in a human voice, saw him with their own eyes, and touched him with their own hands. Peter is, or John is just saying, look, forget this Gnostic stuff. Forget this business about he never was born in human flesh and all matter is evil. He said, I saw him. I listened to his voice many, many times and I touched him. The words heard and saw and handled are in what is called the perfect tense in the Greek language. Don't let that throw you at all. Let me just tell you what the perfect tense means. The, the verbs are in a perfect, the perfect tense. The perfect tense means 
It refers to a process completed in the past, yet it's still having present results. Let me give you an example. If I was not going to use the perfect tense, and I was going to use another tense to describe something happening in the past, I would say, yeah, about five years ago, I met uh, a guy named Billy Graham, and uh, yeah, I remember, I remember the event. I met him, and that was that. That's what the Greek calls an aorist tense. It happened and it's over. Nothing to it. But if I wanted to say, I met Billy Graham, and it's like it was yesterday. He still influences me. I still remember vividly the way he looked at me, the questions that he asked me. I'm still being impacted by meeting Billy Graham. That would be the perfect tense. Something happened in the past, but it's still impacting me today. Okay? That's the perfect tense. Now, about 60 years have gone by from the time John heard and saw and touched the Lord. Yet John uses the perfect tense when he's writing this. And he's, here's what he's saying. What he saw and heard of Jesus Christ was still impacting him powerfully as he wrote. Now that's powerful. And he deals with each one of them. He says, first of all, I heard him. I heard him. I heard him. And it's just like I heard him yesterday. The things he said. The things that he taught. Just listening to him. He taught like no other man. And even though it was over 60 years ago, it's still washing over me today. You can't get around Jesus and not be impacted the rest of your life. He left an indelible impression. Don't you remember vividly when he first touched you? If you don't, you need to check your testimony out. And it's even cooler here when he talks about the word, we, we, we handled the word of life. The word handled comes from a Greek word meaning to handle with a view to investigation. It's not just to touch something, but like here I just touch my Bible and, and walk along, but now if I'm curious about it, if I want to know about it, I'm touching it with a view to investigating it. I've got more than a passing curiosity about this Bible. When he says the word handled, the word that John used by the Holy Ghost was intentional. It says, we didn't just handle the word of life, we handled him with a view to investigation. How strong is that? The same word was used in Isaac's feeling of Jacob's arm with a view to investigate whether or not he was Esau. Is that my son Esau? I'm touching you to investigate. Then, remember when Jesus said to the disciples who were having a hard time believing who was standing in front of them? He said, touch me. The word he used was that same word. He was saying, touch me with a view to investigating. He said to Thomas, put your hands in my side. Put your, your fingers and your hands through the holes in my palms and feet. 
Touch me with a view to investigate. You think Jesus didn't know that down the road, his, his very reality, his very coming to the earth in human form was going to be attacked? So he said, touch me. You're going to, know, you're going to need to know that you touched me. So touch me, he said, because a spirit does not have, almost anticipating Gnostic teaching, he says a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I do have. So when they come along and say he was just a spirit and he wasn't truly flesh, uh-uh. I tell you, I have flesh and bones. I am not a spirit. John is making sure at the opening of his letter that there is no question at all about the real humanity of Jesus Christ. He really was here in flesh and blood. He was not a figment, an idea, or a spirit being. He was human. God made flesh. He spilled real blood for you and me. He was a true sacrifice lamb for you and me. Well, let's try translating this verse, this first verse, as literally as we can as we close tonight in light of the words that I just taught you. Can you read it with me? That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, and at this present moment is still ringing in our ears, that which we have seen with discernment with our eyes, and which is still at this present moment in our mind's eyes, that which we have gazed upon as a spectacle and our hands have handled with a view to investigation concerning the word of the life. That's the first verse of 1 John. It's packed. It's just pulsating with life. Well, stand with me tonight, would you? If that bless you, let's worship the Lord Jesus Christ, who came in flesh and died for our sins and rose from the dead. And how many of you can say, I heard the gospel years ago, but it's impacting me to this moment. Amen? And Jesus touched me so long ago, but oh, I can't forget that touch. It's still impacting me. Lord, we thank you that John wrote so beautifully, using just the right words and just the right tenses to explain to us what happened to him when he saw you, followed you, heard you, handled you with a view to investigation, touched those holes in your hands and feet. Thomas put his hand into your side. Well, we know that this is not a myth or a fable, but Christ came and became one of us. And we worship you, Lord. We worship you for it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Can we just lift our hands in just a moment of honor to him and just say, Lord, thank you for the reality of your word. Thank you for touching me. Thank you for turning my life around. Thank you for amazing grace. Thank you for the Holy Spirit living inside of me.
Thank you, Lord, that we worship one who has always been and always will be. Mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Sing that song through one more time, Jesus. 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 